We are in the book of Genesis, the gospel of Genesis. We are in chapter 19 today. And so I would ask you to turn there. If you don't have a Bible, raise your hand and Landon will happily bring one over to you for a song or even maybe with a song if you're not careful. So. Now, if you're new to Scripture, I want you to recognize that the Bible pulls no punches. There's no place in Scripture where God says, you know, we're really just not going to talk about that because it's going to make someone uncomfortable. And if God were to do that, this would be one of those chapters that God might pull out to keep me from being uncomfortable. But however, that's not the case. And, and, and clearly, this is one of those places where God has, in his patience, uh, gone to the place where people have found themselves irreparably evil. And that's a horrible point, um, but one to be made nonetheless. And in the last chapter, and I want to let's at least um, go there for a second. I want to point out a couple of things as we get into our text here for context. And then we'll read through all of chapter 19. It says this, and I just want you to look at chapter 18, verse 1. It tells us the Lord appeared by the terebinth trees of Mamre. God literally, the Lord literally was manifest. And the word, by the way, uh, for to appear is the word for literally is to be seen. In verse 2, behold, what Abram saw, or Abraham saw, was three men standing by him. Notice it says he ran from the tent door to meet them and bowed himself to the ground. Verse 6, it says, And then Abraham hurried into the tent to Sarah and said, Quickly make ready three measures of fine meal. And verse 7, it says, Abraham ran to the herd and he hastened to prepare it. And verse 17, It's the Lord now as the two others have been sent forth. And we're going to find out in this chapter that they are angels. Then in verse 17 now, Abraham is standing before the Lord. And then the Lord asks a question. Shall I hide from Abraham what I am doing? And he says, why? Because this man has this fantastic promise on him. By the way, a promise not much different from your own. In verse 20, the Lord said, because the outcry against Sodom and Gomorrah is great and because their sin is very grave, I will go down now to see whether they have done altogether according to the outcry against it, and as it has come to me. And if not, I will know. Then the men returned. I'm sorry. Then the men turned away from there and went towards Sodom. And Abraham stood still before the Lord, and he gets in this beautiful haggling session. For those of you who are familiar with it, far be it for the judge of all the earth to slay the righteous with the wicked. That doesn't sound very fair. If there's 50 righteous in Sodom, are you going to kill the city? Are you going to wipe out everyone? The Lord says, no, I won't do it for 50. And and Abraham says, well, um, please don't be upset with me, but how about 45? The Lord says, no, I won't do it for 45. Okay, well, I've taken it upon myself to speak to the Lord. No offense, but how about 40? Can I get 40 out of you? Oh, sure, 40 is fine. Okay, well, let's, let's just really push it. Let's try 30. How about 30? Do I have 30? Can I have 30? And the Lord's like, fine, you have 30. How about 20? Do I hear 20, 20, 20, anywhere, 20? And the Lord's like, yeah, sure, 20 is fine. 10. How about 10? If there were 10 righteous. Now, I want to remind you, in all of this, Abram's cousin, nephew is down there. Now, we don't know how big his family is. It appears as if there's Abraham, his wife, and his two daughters that appear to both be married. You can argue over the language of whether he has other daughters that are married somewhere else. 
I don't know whether he has ten. I don't even know if Abraham knows if Lot has ten. We just know at this point Abraham is bargaining. And if you were there and you loved your nephew, wouldn't you be bargaining and saying, you're not going to wipe out everybody, are you? Because if you're going to wipe out everybody, that's Lot too. That's my nephew. And I love this guy. Which is going to be a radical difference between him bargaining with the Lord over the Lord's heart. The Lord really feels this way. And Lot, who's ready to toss his daughters out to a bunch of wolves. And the Lord says, you got it, ten. And then it says in the last verse, and then when they finished talking, the Lord left. Which is a really odd thought. So, I mean, get, get the picture of this as we get into this text now. I mean, there's three of them. Abram runs. Oh, hey, hey, please let me make you a meal. It's hot. It's the hot heat of the day. Rest yourself under the tree. Let me wash your feet. Come on. And then, you know, can they come on? Please come on. Come on. Please come on. And they come. And he runs into it and says, hey, honey, honey, we got company. Make some food. And it's like, you know, and then again, he's 99 years old. So running is a relative thing. And, you know, he's like, okay. And he tells the young man, come on, kill, kill the good one. Kill the good one. Prepare it. Tells the wife, remember that good flower, the stuff you don't bring when my family comes? Well, give me the good flower. And he shows and he brings this meal. And for what it's worth, it's kind of fun because he brings an unkosher meal. It's, there's cheese and there's meat and they eat them both for what it's worth. And so uh, that's not, I'm not building a case on a cheeseburger, but for all purpose, intent and purpose. So, and they eat, and I mean, and everything's just running here, and he's running there, and he's running, and he's hurrying, and he's hastening, and he gets in the office, and then, and then, okay, wow, and then he's, and then all of that, there's this, and, and then these two guys are leaving, and there's Abram speaking with the Lord, and it's, he, it's like he recognizes this guy, and the Lord's talking to him, he's letting him know what's going on, and as he is, he's like, man, but you, but you can't, you can't kill all of them. Now understand, Lot is up on a, or Abraham is up on a ridge that looks over the entire plain. Now the plain is the area we would look at towards the Dead Sea today. So this is a big flat area on one set of hills. That's the area near Engedi and north, and then you've got Hebron where he is, and then you got this big plain. And on the other side of that, by the way, then there's the Jordan Hills on the other side of that, and. It's a big flat land. I mean, it's a lot of area to look over. And, and, and you can just say, well, I'm going to wipe all this out. And he's like, hey, wait a minute, wait a minute. My nephew's down there somewhere, please. And then, well, how about 50? You're not going to kill him for 50, right? No, I wouldn't do that. Come on, you know better than that. How about 40? How about 30? How about 20? How about 10? And then it's interesting. It's, it's, it's like, how about 10? And the Lord's like, no, I won't do that. And then it's like, cricket, 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 cricket. You can see the Lord just standing there. What if he pushed it to five? What if he pushed it to one? And that's what we had talked about. I just see the Lord really, and we talked about Jeremiah 5, 1, where the Lord said, look, if there were just one person, I wouldn't wipe out the land. And we're going to see that even in our text here. The Lord doesn't want to destroy. He came to save. And and, and here's the situation where he's just like, how far far are you going to push this, Abraham? How far? Ten. Ten's your limit. Ten, huh? Would you push it to? Would you push it to five? Would you push it to one? I, I'd like to think I would. Like, and what's weird is we'd be like, Lord, don't be angry, please don't be upset, but could I maybe? Can I w- just one? And off he heads out. And at that point, imagine the feeling in Abram's gut. I mean, you, you have to go back to your tent now. By the way, when the meal came, the one thing that didn't show up on the meal, if you look at it, was the was the bread. Now, I don't know whether it actually showed up and it didn't show up on the menu or he had to go and forget about it. They're gone now. They said, hurry. 
All right, I'll have the bread with you. And she's, you know, and, and he doesn't have to ask her. She doesn't have to ask him what were they talking about because it's pretty aware that she was listening and we're aware of that. And and in all of that, but uh, do you go to sleep that night? Again, God's just about to wipe this out. I mean, what if the Lord told you he was going to wipe out Scotland tomorrow? What if the Lord told you that he was going to wipe out Newcastle tomorrow? <laughs> he was going to take down London. And you were on holiday somewhere down on the coast. Lord, do you sleep? I mean, you know people. And a lot went with a crew of people. He had a bunch of shepherds when he went down into that area. And now we read this chapter, and this is one of the sickest, the most bizarre. Look at it with me. That might actually gather your attention, I'm sure. Verse, chapter 19, verse 1. Now the two angels, that tell us who the other two people around him. The two angels came to Sodom in the evening. And Lot was sitting at a gate at the gate of Sodom. By the way, it's important to recognize for what it's worth. The gate's the area where the decisions are made. That's the guy in charge. That's where people are married, by the way, the gate. That's where all of the official government business takes place, is it takes place at the gate. You'll find that, by the way, once we get to books like the Book of Ruth, we'll see that be really important. The gate was a very, very important place. And this is where Lot is sitting. And it says, And when Lot saw them, he rose to meet them and bowed himself with his face to the ground. And he said, Now here now, my lords, please turn in your servant's house to spend the night and wash your feet, that you may rise early and go on your way. And they said, No, 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 we'll spend it out in the open square. But he insisted strongly, so they turned aside to him and entered his house. Then he made them a feast and baked unleavened bread and they ate it. Now before... They lay down, the men of the city, the men of Sodom, both young, old and young, all the people from every quarter surrounded the house. And they called to Lot and said to him, Where are the men who came out to you tonight? Bring them out that we may know them. So Lot went out to them through the doorway, shut the door behind him, and he said, Please, my brothers, don't do this so, don't, do not do so wickedly. See, now I have two daughters who have not known a man. Please let me bring them out to you that you may do to them as you wish. But only do not do nothing to do nothing to these men since this is the reason they have come under the shadow of my roof. And they said, stand back. And they said, this one came in to stay here and he keeps acting as a judge. Now we shall deal worse with you than with them. So they pressed hard against the man Lot and came near to break down the door. But the men reached in out their hands and pulled Lot into the house with them and shut the door. Then they struck the men who were at the doorway of the house with blindness, both small and great, so that they became weary trying to find the door. Lord, even as we dive into this text and perhaps through the rest of the chapter as well, Lord, I just pray that you would cause your scripture to come alive. Strangely enough, Lord, that we'd find encouragement and challenge and warning all the things you intend a text like this to do to us. God, I pray that if there are any who have yet to know you in a very real in practical way. God, I pray today would be the day of their salvation. God, I pray that you would fill me with your Holy Spirit so that you would do through me what I cannot humanly do. Immerse me that they wouldn't see me, but see you. See your heart. See your broken heart for people, for them. Your loving heart for mankind. I pray, Lord, that we would enjoy this text, strangely enough. That we would really be in it that it would come alive for us and we would live in it for a moment and understand what it is you want us to know and in that lord god i pray for every one of us who would speak to us individually as well as corporately oh god please 
minister in this time. I commit every second of it. Please redeem it every second to you. In Jesus' name. Amen. I would say today as I would any, please don't just believe me. Don't just assume it's true because I say so. Search the Scriptures. Let the Bible always have the final say. Let it always be your authority. Not me. No man. In the beginning of this situation, I want you to recognize here that these two men that we recognize here are angels have shown up again with this idea of checking the city. Now, according to the last chapter again, the Lord had said an outcry had come to him. So somewhere, somebody's crying out because this city's wretched. Somebody's twisted over it. They're upset. And they've been crying out to the Lord, and this cry has reached the Lord's ears. That's what the Lord himself said. And he said, so I'm going to personally go down there and check this thing out myself. Now, the Lord could simply say, I know everything, and we're going to do this. But I've just found that the Lord has this habit of being a part of something. And by the way, that doesn't mean he's a part of someone's sin, but he is a part of the situation. And, well, who's, who would he share in? Would he fellowship with the sin? No. But he would fellowship with the sufferer from it. Which, by the way, is a really good hint of what's going to happen later on when he dies on the cross. It'll be a very good precursor, by the way, when he speaks to Moses and he says, I've heard their cries, I've seen their oppression, and I know their suffering. And the word know there is a word to know intimately, the idea of knowing something personally. And the Lord's like, look, it, I'm not going to just say, well, I know everything, and I'm going to pronounce this. People go, well, how unfair. The Lord is going to actually be a part of this suffering for a moment. And that's a pretty radical thought. Now, these two individuals have shown up. And they do what anyone would do in the Middle East. They go to the market and they go to the center square because it's the center square that any hospitality would be shown. A person would walk by and we'll find that throughout Scripture. And someone will say, you know, why don't you come and stay with us? And by the way, it is an honor and it's really important to recognize the issue of honor on this. It is a dishonor to go past a person in need without offering something. That's a very sincere cultural issue. Now, the reason I say that is this man is going to choose honor over his family. You're going to be aware of that here. But when you take a person into your house, it is your responsibility to protect them. As a matter of fact, to the point where any enemy that shows up at your door should go through you to get to them. Now, the safest place in the house is a house, there's a room in the back. Normally, it's a place by the way where the feasting takes place. And it is there that normally a person is seated. It's the one room with no windows. And as a person sits in there uh, and the table is presented before them, the person who stands before that table is your protector, and you know that very well. And that is a fundamental issue if you're familiar with Psalm 23. When it says, I mean, we're reading, the Lord is my shepherd, and we read all this cool shepherdy stuff, if I dare use such a word. And, you know, he's leading me beside still waters, makes me lie down in green pastures. Lo, before, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I won't fear because you're with me. You're rod and your staff. They comfort me. And I get this whole idea and all of this. I get shepherd, 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 shepherd. I get that through that. And then it goes, you prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. And I think, that's a really weird place to go with. And all of a sudden, I, can, I just see this shepherd, and it's like all the, ah, you're all there. And he's like, okay. Hey, everyone, here you go. Here's a little bit of green grass for you. I mean, I think, well, that's weird. But David takes it from the concept of a shepherd to what it really means for the Lord to be a shepherd for him. Now, if I understand that in regards to the culture, it makes perfect sense. It's like the Lord said, come into my house, sit in the safest place, and then in there, I just want you to know, anyone that shows up as your enemy has to get through me to get to you. And when he says this, you prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. And this is just cheeky because you get the idea the Lord's looking at the enemies and going, <laughs> as he's setting up this place for safety for you. And he's going, don't worry, don't worry, don't worry, I got this covered. And he looks at the enemy and he goes, there's just no way you're getting to them. They're, they're mine. 
I just love that image. And I'm like, that's the image of David when he recognizes we're not just getting theoretical and ethereal about this shepherdy thing. This is how it plays out in my life now. And now, by the way, it's very likely he was running that when he was running for his life. I mean, David spent half of his life until he became king running for it. I mean, it's an interesting thing to think, yeah, you prepare a table in the presence of my enemies. I'm going to lay down and sleep here. <laughs> yeah, but I could wake up. And it's like, Lord, unless you protect me, I'm a dead man. This isn't like I'm going to wake up and a bill's going to show up and I'm going to have a headache or the creditor's going to call me again. And not that those things aren't bad. But David's like, look at one mistake in this thing. God, you blow it for a second. I'm dead. Now, that's kind of a pretty grave consequence. Now, in all of that, the Lord here is showing himself as a person with tremendous care. And yet in this, he's talking. He wants to see these people saved. And in this now, he heads down to Sodom to personally experience the situation. Although we really don't even read where the Lord is in this text, do you? I mean, in the sense, we don't have that physical example that Abraham just saw. Though the Lord went down there, we're like, well, where is he in all of this? Is he just hanging out with these two guys invisible and we don't see him? We just don't have it. But we do have these two men that show up. And as these two men show up, they sit in the square, just as would be the, you know, the culture. And with that, <laughs> Lot actually doesn't even let him get to the square. He's at the door. He's at the gate. And by the way, most walled cities have a gate because if you can get in from any side, you can attack them. If you have one gate, all of your enemies have to go through one place, and it's a lot easier to, to hold back a, an enemy army. And they had already been taken captive once. We're aware of that when we look back at the last few chapters because Abraham had to go to rescue them. And Lot's, now notice the text in this because what we read is Lot sitting at the gate, right? So he's just sitting there. And it says that he sees these men, and it says he rises. Then he bows, and he says, all right, you guys, if you're going to be in this town at all, you better, you better just come with me right now. And they're like, no, 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 we'll go to the open door. He's like, no, you have no idea what neighborhood you're dealing with here. This is really a bad idea. You really should. No, 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 we'll just go. No, no, I insist you really need, you really need to come with me. You have no idea. And again, remember, these guys are just checking out the city. And this isn't like they're going to get a postcard and a shirt and send it back. You know, all my friends went to Sodom and all I got was this lousy t-shirt. They're going to see whether or not to destroy this place. And Lot doesn't know that. Goes, I'll tell you what, let me make you a meal. Can I, can I bait you with a meal? Yeah, okay. So come on, okay. And so they come to the house. And as they get to the house, notice the ideas. He says, why don't you spend the night at my house and you can leave early in the morning. Why does he think they should leave early in the morning? Because you should probably get up. <laughs> the good news is these guys aren't going to get up early. So if you get up pretty early, you're going to get up before any of these guys do. Because they have a lot to sleep off. So, <clears throat> so, but they're like, okay, so before they even have the time to put on their jammies, you know, things are winding down. And I was like, ooh, and I'm rolling out the mats. You know, and I'm like, all right, guys, hopefully you know, the inflatable mattresses. Okay, you guys, this is going to be okay for you. This is going to work. And all of a sudden you hear... And now you're thinking, oh no, what is this? And then these guys, you know, and think about it. these men take a look at you and you take a look at them. And, and, and wouldn't you, if you were lot, you were like, I told you, you really don't want to be out there right now. And then this voice, this, this unified voice comes from out there and says, well, you want to have sex with these guys. Bring them out here. They're ours. 
Could you imagine the sinking feeling? Here's the scary thing is the term that's used here is, notice in verse 4, all the people. Did you get that? Now when I think all the people, I start thinking, wait a minute, Lot has to go by the time we get through this chapter, he has to go talk to his sons-in-law. Are they out there at this moment? If they're part of all the people, wouldn't they be part of all the people? And, and, and this is just, and, and they come on, hang on, and the, the guy, no, here's the idea. He doesn't go out and say, look at you guys, this is just not permissible. He tries to bargain with them. And notice the first words he uses is, my brethren. Did you get that? Now, that gives you an idea where Lot thinks he is in this situation. Lot thinks that he's basically part of the crew. At this point, he kind of thinks he's a sodomite. He kind of pops out and says, come on, you guys, we're, we're all brothers here. Come on, can't we all just get along? And he can just tell that ain't going to work. Rodney King did not work. So, so what's, what's plan to you? I'll tell, tell you what. I've got a couple girls, daughters in my house. They haven't known anyone. Why don't I toss them out to you? Now, who does this? Now, you'd think, well, this is cultural. No one in their right mind tosses out members of their family unless honor is such a big deal that the family pride is such a big deal that you'd rather take your own personal honor of not letting these guys be injured than actually protect your own daughters. Now, i got to tell you, at least this is the part that hits home well, of, one, of a million things on this text, because I have two daughters myself. And I don't care who comes to the door. The bottom, I don't care what, if you're in my house, I want you to know. They're not going to get to you, but they are not going to get to my girls. Now, in the end of it all, I will pick them up and run, and you just better hope you can run faster than me without them. I mean, it's like, look at because I tell you what, the only joy I'll get in this situation is you kill me first, because I'm not going to watch you do anything to my children. What person in their infinite love would ever offer someone, oh, wait a minute, and that tells me something right away, that you should really praise God I'm not Jesus, or even more so that I'm not the Father. Because if I were the Father, I don't love you enough to kill my own children for you. I don't. And to be honest, I would rather die myself. I could, in theory, contemplate the concept of dying for you if it was in need were there. But man, I would never give up my daughters for you. So praise God I'm not the Father. But the, the, here's the scary part, is often when we think of the love of God, we are instantly connected with Jesus. Well, and rightfully so. Who wants to be tortured like that? I mean, that's an amazing concept. But I think it took until I became a dad to realize how infinite the love of God was from a father's perspective, because that's really where it's defined. And to me, that's a, that is clearly a step up. It says, God so loved the world that he did what? Do you remember? He gave his only begotten son. Now, wait a minute. Whose perspective is that from? That's from the father's. This is love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and gave his son as a propitiation, a ransom, Elasmus, for our sin. Whose perspective is that from? It's from the Father's. And I've got to be honest to tell you, that is an infinitely greater love. Nonetheless, here, this isn't one of those situations. This is a situation where he's saving face. Now, I don't know how about you, but if I were one of those daughters at this moment, I'd think, let's just lock the door and leave Dad out there at this moment. Let's be honest. All right, you can have my dad. And they're like, no, 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 that's not going to work. Women aren't enough for us anymore. 
Please, my brothers, don't do yourself. Verse 9, it tells us, by the way, their view of Lot, which is very different from Lot's view of them. Lot's view of them is, come on, we're all, we're all, come on, we've been here long enough, haven't we? And they say, stand back. This one came to stay, and he acts like a judge. He keeps acting like a judge. We'll deal worse with you. In other words, did you recognize in this crew, this wicked crew, he was never part of them as far as they were concerned. Now, you ever watch this? Because it really is embarrassing. You see some guy who was born and raised in a Christian home. Godly man. You know, and he's a cool kid. He's really never t- tasted a drop of alcohol. He's really never done, I mean, like he feels embarrassed to give his testimony because the guy normally that gave the testimony right before that was like, you know, punching nuns and running over puppies or something. And this kind of gets up there and he feels like he has to invent something, you know. Give me life to Christ at two. I was delivered from the bottle and you know, thumb sucking and... Oh, he just cleaned all that off of me. And and then you watch somebody like that go to college sometimes to university, you know, and now like they're hanging out with these people and they're like, Oh man, we've been doing this since we were eleven and he's like, oh, me, me too. And they know better, you know. And he starts trying to figure out how to cuss and it comes out of his mouth like it's a barbed wire, you know, it's like, Oh yeah, where and he like doesn't even conjugate it right or something and they just kind of like oh boy and then you kind of visit them once and they're kind of they're with their homies now and and you just kind of look and and in the end of it all they 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 keep him around because he's kind of like cable they just think he's entertainment he's like this is that goofy kid who really can't seem to even be bad bad and you know it and you know and he's like quoting tough lines from like the 80s or something you know and and in this, this is this, in, in the end of it all, God's like, look, he doesn't want you to fit in with them. The world has been taught lately, don't be bold, be mellow, be nuancy, and don't offend anyone, because don't be, you know, be careful who's, t- you don't want to step on anyone's toes, while the world is basically driving Zambonis all over the place, running over everyone. And exactly how does that work? We're like, we need to meet the world at where they're at. Well, the world's like, hey, look at flair and filth, and this is who we are. And we're like, excuse me, excuse that doesn't look at anything like that. You know, it's, it's basically, it's kind of like we sent three people, that we sent like the lollipop guild to a, you know, to, to this like rugby game and these guys kind of come out and they're doing the haka, right? And they're all this. And all of a sudden we kind of come in, and it's like, yeah, we're going to meet them where we're at. We're going to get trampled on. It's like, bring out the big boys. Bring out somebody that's willing to say, you know what? If you're going to be that bold, so am I. It's amazing. They're like, hey, look, this is who I am. Deal with it. And I'm like, you know what? Well, it's my turn. This is who I am. God's made me this way. Deal with it. Well, that's offensive. Well, then we both could be offensive. We're in the same room together. There you go. He died for you and rose again. He died for me and rose again. You could be delivered just like me. Are you saying I'm a sinner? Yeah, good. You're quick on this one, aren't you? We all are. By the way, you don't deserve anything I don't. I deserve hell. You deserve hell. Did anyone ever tell you you deserve hell? But you don't have to take it. Oh, gosh, that's going to step on someone's toes. Well, great. It's like, how is it that we have to walk around and get steel-toed shoes just so that no one steps on ours? Because they're going to step on them all day. And I'm like, meanwhile, you better put on your flip-flops when you walk around with everyone else. 
Stand back. Who is this guy think he is sitting at our gate? By the way, how did, how did this guy get to the gate in the first place? There's only one real logical option, and you don't have to agree with me. This is at least my simple-minded opinion, and that is the seat was open. Nobody else was there. You know, it's, I mean, the bottom line is who wants to judge this? It's like, and you know why? Because what happens in a community like this is there's no judge. Man, come on now. Don't be judgmental. Don't, no, no, tolerance, tolerance, you know, Jesus displayed tolerance. Listen, he displayed tolerance to personality, but he was intolerant to sin. How did the church flip that? Did you know you kind of get the idea? Now we're kind of like, look, at we can't tolerate each other's personality, but we can tolerate each other's sin. I'm sorry, but that is not what scripture says. And we get at this situation, and all of a sudden, it's like, now here's the most amazing thing. By verse 11, this, I mean, Lot is to be rescued by these guys. They yank him into the house, and they blind everyone. Now, I don't know about you, but I don't know what it is I could crave for so much that by the time I get blind, I don't even notice. They're still groping for the door. Now, you kind of think, whoa, something's a little different here. Are you, who turned out the, wait a minute. But do you see it around you? You get so addicted to this filth and this destruction, you don't even notice how blind you're getting. And even when you are, you're like groping even harder, but you're not even finding anything. A horrible place to be. So verse 12, Then the men said to Lot, Have you anyone else in here? Sons-in-law, sons, daughters, whomever you have in the city. It's time to leave. Take them out of this place, for we will destroy this place, because the outcry against them has grown great before the face of the Lord, and the Lord has sent us to destroy it. Now, get this information. Now, what's, for, what's going to give Lot the reason to think that he um, should believe them? Well, you have a whole bunch, of, you have the entire city pressing at the door, and two men opened the door, pulled him in, and closed the door. First of all, that's a little bit, that's two men against the entire city. And then they get struck with blindness. Now, somewhere in the middle of all that, even the daftest individual is going to be able to look and go, there's something different about these guys. They just struck the entire city with blindness. Okay. And they're like, the Lord sent us to destroy them. Now, okay, look at This is what they say. Get out! Now, that's a pretty simple command. Any of you have a hard time figuring that one out? If I said, you know, maybe, maybe you might ask, why, why, why should, why should I leave? I mean, if, if, if all of a sudden everything behind me just caught fire, and I looked at you and said, get out, you might not think, well, how much time do I have? I think get out usually means now. And now, with, and if you're thinking about it twice, do it on your way out. And, and he said, look, it's time to get out of here. But there's something infinitely bizarre about Lot in this. And it becomes, to be honest, kind of a token of it. Because whether you know or not, this is the last place we're going to see him. And it's the only time he ever speaks. First he says, come on in, you guys. You really need to come in here. And then it says in verse 14, do you have anyone? Verse 14, Lot went out and spoke to his sons-in-law who were married to his daughters, which is how you get sons-in-law. And he said, get up, get out of this place, for the Lord will destroy the city. But to the sons-in-law, he seemed to be joking. Now, the word joking, for what it's worth, is the word tzakach. And the word, in its simple sense, means like he's just not taking it seriously. It's to make sport of, to mock, to play with. Now, of course, the easiest thing is that these two guys are so caught into their sin 
But, I, but how do I deliver a message like this and make you think I'm joking? No, it's, I, I understand that. I've got two daughters. I mean, there are times where it's like, <laughs> cut it out. <laughs> cut, it, cut it out. You know? And you get the difference in this. But the words here definitely seem to be pretty serious words. Now, I, w- I want you to put this, because I don't know if you've put this together before. Connect these dots for a second. We don't mean they've un- been unstruck with blindness. We don't read, okay, they've got ten minutes, they're going to be blind. So somewhere in all of this, these guys had to at least ease up at the door because Lot has to leave the door to go find his sons-in-law. At least it appears to be the case. He goes and finds them. He's got a really big house, which is doubtful. And in all of that, he's got to go out, and it's like he's got to talk to these two guys who, for the part, may very well be blinded. And he's going to have to he's like, it's time to get out of here, man. It's time to get out of here. This place is going to get destroyed. <laughs> That's really funny. I'm not kidding. Have you ever done that when you want to share with someone? And it shows me, by the way, the lack of influence this man has on people. Remember, this guy's sitting at the seat of the judge, and at this point, he's trying to talk to them about, listen, the most, listen, the most important thing they'll ever need to know in regards to their mortal life, and they're not going to take it seriously. But I've got to tell you, this rips out my guts. And I'm not one of those people that gets gutted when I get cut off on the street or when I miss my bus. I, you know, I get, you know, I get texts, miss the bus. I'm totally gutted. I'm thinking, wow, that's, that's what it takes to gut you, huh? Um, I'm not one of those people, but when I look at this, the reason why is when I talk about Jesus, I see this happen a lot. Where I'm like, look at, this is a matter not of just like you're going to have a better life now or you're not going to be sick as much or all that kind of stuff, the weird places some people want to take it. I'm talking about your eternity. I'm talking about the fact that you're going to be spending eternity somewhere and you're going to, and it's like, well, I just choose not to believe in hell. Well, why don't you just choose not to believe in taxes and see how that works out for you? And the bottom line is you can delude yourself all you want, but the price is going to have to be paid whether you like it or not. I can choose to not believe there are other cars on the street until I run into one. Sooner or later, you're going to bounce into something and realize this isn't serious reality. This is the most serious reality. And, and the worst part isn't the unbeliever, to be honest. Because I expect them to be deluded. I expect them to be like, look it, I've already chosen my sin. I've chosen it over God. What has God have to offer me better than this? My greatest concern is you. Because in the end of it all, and when we get through this, I really do want to look at at least the history of Lot up to this point. And I hope you learn from it what I'm learning from it. But in the end of it all, we can all sit in here and we can nod and we can agree and do nothing. In the end of it all, I might as well just be dancing and doing something and acting like a monkey and entertaining you because in the end of it all, it's just like I'm joking with you too then. And, and to be honest, I'm really not, I, I'm not here to entertain you. I'm not here to plant something so that more people can congregate and sing Kumbaya and then go out there and let the world die and let themselves be steeped in their worldliness and their ungodliness and their apathy to the world in the way it is. I would really, to be honest, I'd rather be the one raving lunatic that everyone else doesn't trust. Because in the end of it all, the world doesn't need any more sons-in-laws like this. Because they're going to be destroyed. And they don't really, they don't care. Why would they care? The worst part about it is, it says, get out of the city, but to him it seemed they were only joking. Verse 15, when morning dawned. Okay, now, sun was setting when these guys showed up in town. Remember that? That's an awful lot of time. Now, I don't know how far the sons of laws are. But when the morning dawned, the angels urged Lot to hurry. That tells me something. Now, why would someone urge you to hurry? Those of you men who are married, why do you urge someone to hurry? Because they're not. Right, that should be simple. 
I'm going to get myself in trouble for that. Arise, take your wife and your two daughters and um, who are here, lest you be consumed in the punishment of the city. In verse 16, while he lingered. What's he hanging around for? Is, is Lot not taking it seriously? Now, it's interesting because the New Testament tells us that he's righteous. And that's an odd thought. This is a righteous man who doesn't appear to show any outward signs of taking this thing very seriously. Is the Lord coming back? Is he, beloved? Is he? Is he coming back? Does it govern any part of you? Does it govern any part of me? Are we all going to stand before him one day? Does it tell us that we'll have to give a report for every idle word we speak? Idle word. We're not even talking about the nasty things we talk about. Just the stuff that we talk about that doesn't mean anything. Now, I'm not here to to sort of bum our groovy, but I'm here to kind of wake us up for a second. Notice it says, While he lingered, the men took hold of his hand, his wife's hand, and the hands of his two daughters, and the Lord being merciful to him. Don't miss that. And they brought him out and set him outside the city. In other words, he had to be dragged out of the city himself. Do you get that? Now, there are ways to disobey and try not to make it look like you're disobeying. I have kids. I know these things, you know, where it's sort of like, girls, I really need you to do this. And they're like, oh, I just suddenly became paralyzed. I don't understand what it is in front of my laptop. Then this is showing this thing that I, if there's only three more minutes, oh, I meant 34, but there's a three in there. And it's, you know, oh, come on. And it's like, and in the end of it all, it's amazing how you can disobey and actually convince yourself you're not disobeying. I'm like, you're aware of that's rebellion. That's not rebellion. I'm just not really getting to it yet. And, and it's like, well, here's, I mean, what if the situation, well, well, look at, what if, look at, sooner or later, you're going to have to get serious about your walk with the Lord. I mean, this has to be something where it's like, you're going to have to put up with the fact someone's going to think you're an idiot for what you believe. You're aware of that, right? The gospel's foolishness to those who are perishing. That's kind of a no-brainer. And yet the, the stupidest thing God ever said is the most is greater, more brilliant than the most brilliant thing that's ever been spoken by man. That's a loose paraphrase, but it's the point. And God doesn't say anything dumb. We're aware of that. But even the simplest thing God's ever said is if, I re, if we really gravitated to it and understood it, our brains would explode out of our heads. And, and then I look at this text and I realize how much of me is like this guy? And I go, women, I go back to the beginning of this. And you know what I realized? What was the difference between, I mean, remember when Abraham met those guys? What was the difference between his reception and this guy's reception? You know what it is? Abraham hurried. Abraham hurried to him. He hurried to his wife. He hurried, uh, and he's, he appears to be much older, and he hurried to get, get, go kill this thing and make it nice and get the good flower. And he hurried, and he hurried, and he made it before him, and then he stood there, and he's like, and then, and then and I see this sense of urgency with Abraham that I just don't see with Lot at all. And I look at the church of Sardis in the book of Revelation, and I've been there. I've stood at the place where that church was, and I realized, you know what killed them? They got numbed to death. They got comforted to death. It was a place that was so comfortable, you just didn't realize. You were dying. You were numbing yourself to death. It was like spiritual leprosy. So he drags them out. He came to pass as he brought him outside. He said, escape for your life. Don't look behind you or stay anywhere in the plain. Escape to the mountains lest you be destroyed. And he said, oh, please, no, my lords. I don't know how you put those words together. 
Indeed, your servant has found favor in your sight. You have increased your mercy, which you have shown me by saving my life. But I can't escape to the mountains, lest some evil overtake me and I die. It's interesting because by the end of this story, he will actually be in the mountains. See, now this city's close enough. Can I just stay there? Can I just escape? It's a little one. My soul can live if I live there. And thus ends the language spoken. Thus ends the script of Lot. It ends with, please don't let me have to do all that. I don't really want to have to go all that far. Can I just do this? It's just a little thing. Ooh. That's the last thing said by Lot. Anyway, do you ever tell yourself that? I don't know about you, but for me, nobody tells me more of that than me. It's just a little, just a little what? Hey, you know, I mean, it's like, oh, it's just a little addiction. It's just a little heroin. Just a little cancer. Just a little gangrene. Come on, a little gangrene. What's the big deal? Just a little gangrene. Just a little HIV. Come on, can I just put a little of that in you? Just a little bit. No, of course not. Why? Because a little bit becomes a really big bit rather quickly. And the Holy Spirit says the same thing. But I'm going, oh, come on, just a little, just a little. Come on, I don't really want to have to go that far with it. And people that love you that will call themselves Christians will do that too. Hey, you know, Clive, I've kind of noticed you're kind of getting really crazy. I mean, you go to like, what, two, three things a week now? I mean, is that a little overboard? Can't you just like do the church thing and that's enough? I mean, what's this praying and reading your Bible thing? And, oh, come on. Next, like the next thing you're like going to be like listening to all that awful Christian music. And, oh, you do that too, huh? Oh, no. Oh. Next thing I know, are you giving me a Bible? Are you giving me a, Look at, look at, I, I love you, Clyde, but I'm concerned about you. You hear people say that? Don't go overboard. I wonder if the other 11 said that to Peter. Hey, Peter, Jesus is walking in the water. Don't go overboard. Peter, like, come on, man. Someone's going to go out there. If that's really him, I'm getting out here and walking. And people go, ha, 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 well, you sunk. And he's like, I'm the only one who walked on water here. Thank you. Guys, I'll stay in the boat. You'll never walk on water if you don't go overboard. And I've learned you can't OD on Jesus. Try it. Prove me wrong. where's the person that loves you enough to say, you know, I'm really concerned because you don't seem to be going overboard. You just seem like you're too in hot pursuit of your comforts. And I'm really concerned with you because, well, to be honest, it just looks like what you really want to make Jesus kind of the salad to the main dish of whatever your life wants to be. God's not interested in being your salad. I'm really concerned about that. But hey, man, once I get my kind of book up, you know, and kind of get the right house, get the right car, get the right everything, things are kind of nice and they're all padded and I've got my retirement. Well, then maybe I will live long enough to serve God for a few days before I die. And and it's like I'm really concerned because I I really am. I'm concerned about the fact that we can look and see people and go, oh, it's just those rotten losers out there that are in the world that we forgot we were. And then we look at the worldliness that we sort of inject inside of us. And go, oh, that's cool. It's just a little this. And what's the difference? And all. And in the end of it all, we're kind of half polluted. And we're trying to give someone something pure. And we don't even have the purity inside of us to do it. And, well, what am I missing here? I mean, will the Lord have to drag me out? When he comes back, is he going to grab a hold of me and go, come on. Come on. I'm like, but, but. 
I, I, I just got an eight-string guitar. I haven't played it yet. It's like, I got a harp for you up there, which this renaissance I recognize. But what are we really going to leave behind? Because I guarantee you, when we actually wake up from that coma that we're in, the only thing we're going to be concerned about is where are my kids? Where's, where's my wife? Because in the end of it all, I could really give a rip about the rest of it. But that's the stuff I'm really concerned about. Man, I'm not interested in tossing my kids to the wolves now. And I'm not interested in leaving them behind either. So, you know, so let's take a look at something. Have you learned yet? People are going to make fun of you no matter who you are. If you stand one way, they'll make fun of you that. If you stand the other, you make fun of you for that. If you stand in the middle, both of those sides will make fun of you. I mean, in the end of it all, so at least pick what you want to be made fun of by. I'll take Jesus. Because at least I've got somebody in my corner that says, hey, I know how you feel. At least they're not nailing you to a cross. I say, escape for your life. Do not look behind you or stay anywhere in this plane. In other words, remember, that plane is, again, between where Abraham is and the whole side over in Jordan. That whole area is like, look at all of this is going down. All of it. He's like, oh, come on. You've been really kind. And what's interesting is, did you notice with both of them, they also both try to bargain with God in this? But look at the difference. Abraham was bargaining with God because he was concerned with 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 Lot, Lot was, well, first of all, Lot was willing to toss his girls to these, this nasty group of people, but now Lot's bargaining with God about not going so far. Do I really have to go that far? Come on, I'll die there. He's like, look it, I'm getting you out. Why would I lead you out of death to kill you? That kind of sounds a little bit like Exodus now, doesn't it? Like, I'm not the one delivering you. And you think, well, if I do, if I go that crazy, how am I going to provide for myself? How am I going to, how am I? And God's like, hey, 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 am I not the one who got you out of, if I can get you out of hell, don't you think I could take care of that? Please don't have to go that far. Come on. And yet here's God's response, verse 21. So he said to him, See, I've, found, I've favored you concerning this thing also. I'm not going to overthrow this city. This city called Zor. I'm not going to overthrow it. Because how many people are there that are righteous? It appears to be one. And even the person who's righteous doesn't look so righteous at the moment, does he? So how many people would God not overthrow a city for? One. And it's going to be a really bizarre little Goshen because at this particular moment, God's going to wipe out everything else around there's going to be this tiny little city in the middle of it all that doesn't get wiped out because one guy showed up there one night. Isn't that a weird thought? Wouldn't you be thankful if you were a Zoarite or whatever? This guy shows him, like, who does this guy think he is? And he's like, I know this is going to sound weird, but you guys aren't going to get wiped out tonight because of this. Now, does that make Lot think he's pretty high and mighty? The bottom line is this is because of God's grace. And what would it be like? Now, this guy. Now, what would it be like if you were a lot and you sat down that night in Zoar, and you watched every other place around you catch fire? That'd be a weird thing. To know that somehow you were part of that. You're thinking, I had to get dragged. I had to get dragged out of that. You ever? Let me uh, honestly. We're wrapping this around, believe it or not, because who wants to spend a lot of time on the last part of this? Um, and it's just horrible history. Um, have you ever had someone pull you out of something, love you enough, pull you some, out of something you thought was okay, and then you got out of it, and finally it's like, whoa, what in the, how did, how did I think that was good? Any of you other than me get in those situations every once in a while? I'm like, wow, I, I, I really thought that was better than it was. What would it be like to sit there then and look and watch the entire, the entire plane get torn up? I mean, torn up. 
And I'm going, wow, I had to get, I had to get pulled out of that. I wouldn't leave that. Huh. Verse 23. When the sun had risen, that tells us how long it took him to get there. And it isn't very far. Lot enters Zoar, which means little. Then the Lord rained brimstone and fire on Sodom and Gomorrah and the whole plain, by the way. From the Lord out of the heavens, and he overthrew those cities, all the plain. Notice all the plain. All the inhabitants of the cities and what grew on the ground. Now, Here's my problem. When was the last time you actually got a piece of brimstone? I had to, I, 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 it was a curious thing for me because then we just go, okay, brimstone. What does that mean? Well, word stone in there, so probably rocks, rocks from the sky. That's like the, I mean, isn't that where we go with it naturally? So I go and look up the word, and I'm, I'm looking at it and reading it through in the Hebrew, and I realize, well, wait a minute, that's a really strange word. That's the word for resin. Oh, well, wait a minute. Oh, I kind of get the idea here. So, uh, so can it be a rock? Sure, it can be a rock. Can it, it would be, if it were, more than likely, it's a hardened resin that's basically like sulfur, or is sulfur, that, by the way, just catches fire real easy. So what you basically have is like flaming pitch. That's kind of the easiest way. Now imagine there's no umbrella out there to stop that from coming, especially in places that are made of things quite flammable. Or the one rock that's used, limestone, is extremely waterlogged, which means that the moment fire gets near it, it crumbles to dust because it evaporates the water out of it. That's how we take over cities as we set fire to the bottom of, of these, um, these big walls because it starts to crumble. So, so all of a sudden, you realize what God is just raining down is the one thing he just knows will destroy it all. So, I mean, no matter how, what image you get in your eyes, it's not pretty because what we get in the end of it all is the entire plane catches fire. That's the idea of this which, by the way, would be the clearest picture we've ever seen of hell, and we're only in chapter 19 at this point. And what's interesting is all the way in the middle of all this, there's this one strange little cool spot. But, man, you don't want to, you're not stepping out of Zoar today, let me tell you what. You're planning a holiday tomorrow, it ain't happening. Because at this point, you know, it's like <clears throat> there's a severe delay on every line leaving Zoar today because everything around you was on fire. Everything. But now here's the hard part. Somewhere up on the top of that hill is Abraham. And you hear this. And you get up and you look and it says it looks like the smoke of a furnace. And you realize what that looks like? The idea is simple. A furnace means it is a continual, unstopping, unceasing, big billow of, of cloud of smoke. I mean, verse is something where you just kind of see little parts come up part at a time, part at a time. This is a nonstop eruption of smoke. And here's the thing. He's able to see the whole plane. And yet the one problem with smoke is it's not going to show you the one cool spot now, is it? And, and I, I just can't help but think. Now, I want you to recognize the last time Abraham saw Lot, which by the way would be the last time we'd see him, he rescued him. I'd like you to think about that. And after rescuing him, Lot went back to Sodom. Abraham went back to where he was. The interesting thing is where God was telling him to crawl up and get up and get out, could have actually been where Abraham was. Isn't that a weird thought? I want you to get up to the mountains. Well, that's actually towards the where Abraham is, if he's heading actually west. It's a funny thought. But now Abraham has to get up and he's looking and all he sees is smoke everywhere. And I would just think, oh, it's over. I lost him. I lost Lot. I think, oh, God, please don't let that happen. And then we have this really odd verse, verse 26 where even his own wife doesn't seem to have, she has too much Sodom in her to leave it. 
Joe's wife looked back behind him and she became a pillar of salt. For what it's worth, salt always, of course, speaks to something transcending. We know we talk about things like a covenant of salt we'll get into later. It's our introduction to salt. And it's an interesting place to be introduced to it. Uh, and I can't help but think is if God were saying, look, at this particular pillar you're about to see here testifies of something infinitely greater than this moment alone. This is going to take you way beyond all of that. And as a matter of fact, that's what we'll see in our last few verses we look around today. It says, Abraham then went early in the morning to the place where he had stood before the Lord. Remember, that was the last time when he bargained with the Lord? Because of his heart for Lot. And he looked toward Sodom and Gomorrah and toward the land of the plain, and he saw, and behold, the smoke of the land, and it went up like a smoke of a furnace. It came to pass when God destroyed the cities of the plain that God remembered Abraham and sent Lot out of the midst of the overthrow, and he overthrew the cities so that the entire plain is on fire. Now, hear me out a couple things, and then I'll just walk through these last verses. The last verse is what happens. Both, they wind up going to the mountains. Both of his daughters sleep with dad by getting him drunk. And there's a part of me that thinks, first of all, where'd they get the wine? It isn't like every cave comes stock with it. But listen to this, and this is rather quick. And forgive me if this seems like it's going long, but I, I, I'm honest, I, I can't walk through this quickly because I need to hear this. This is what I lead. This is where Lot's introduced in 1127. And in 1127, we just read, he's the son of a guy who dies named Haran. Dad will leave, if you remember, the area of Ur, which is the Persian Gulf, and head up towards Syria to a city called Haran. I'm assuming Dad names it. I really don't know. But listen to these verses and tell me if you can hear what they have in common. 1131, the next time, Terah took his son, Abraham, Abram, and his grandson, Lot. 12.4, he departed, and this is Abram now, departed as the Lord had spoken to him, and Lot went with him. 13.1, as they come back to Egypt, they went up from Egypt, he, this is Abram and his wife, and all that he had, and Lot was with him. 13.5, Lot also went with Abraham. Abram. Now, what do they all have in common? It's interesting. He's just a sidekick. And if I, I, I'm, here's my whole concept as I'm looking at this. I'm thinking about, uh, and part of it is that I know that sooner or later I'm going to need to get a license. It's strange. I don't know if you know this, but if you come from America, you can actually drive for the first year, and then they make you get a license. Now, that's a little strange to me because you think the first year is when you're actually learning how to drive on the other side of the road. You think that's when you should get the license? But nonetheless, and I realize there are four basic things, and, and I, I, I would rather the Lord develop them in your own time in this, but, but hear me out. The first is he just he was along for the ride. We don't believe that Lot did anything other than he just happened to be with them. You know that kind of person? It's like, hey, we're going to go do this. And like, you want to come with? Yeah, okay, sure, I'll come too. That kind of thing. And what we read is that Lot doesn't seem to have anything other than he just kind of comes with. He's just along for the ride. And by the way, that will be the case with every one of you if you are not careful. There will be somebody like myself that's excited enough about following the Lord that really wants to go for it. And you're kind of like, yeah, cool, I'll come along. But sooner or later, whoa, hi there, splash zone. Um, sooner or later, there's going to be a time where you're going to have to grab the wheel. The first time that he grabs the wheel is in chapter 13 when their shepherds become so populous and the sheep become and the, and the herds become so populous they have to separate and what we read in verse uh, verse 10 is lot lifts his eyes and he sees this plain and it's just green and it's lush and it's full of water and he thinks well that's the place for me and in other words the second thing is he's driven by his sight i mean he's been along for the ride forever but now he's just driven by what he sees and goes well that looks good that looks good we, by the way you'll never read anywhere that lot ever builds an altar that he ever prays that he ever sacrifices anything other than his family himself 
The third thing that we read in chapter 13, verse 12, is Lot pitched his tent as far as Sodom. Now, what's the big deal about that? Might I just say, listen to this. He's a shepherd. He's got lots of, or a rancher, however you want to play it. He's got lots of animals. What does a guy with a lot of animals do in a city? You really think there's a lot of places? So what do you have to do? Now, here's the thing. The livestock is a relatively liquid capital. It's pretty quick to sell if you sell it to butchers. Butchers are happy to buy your animals. So here's a guy, and I think you learn a lot about Lot in regards to his own family from this. What you get is Lot basically took all of these animals that he was responsible for, and he handed them over to the slaughter. Now, look at what happens. See, if Lot does that, he gets cash, and that cash allows him to live pretty sweet in the city. And you know what? He doesn't have to take care of the animals anymore. He doesn't have to find green grass for them. He doesn't have to clean up after them. He doesn't have to protect them. Now we could just cash all this in and live high and nice, get a little penthouse somewhere in Sodom, someplace, that, you know, maybe with a good door to protect them from all the city. And, and it's like, and I realize in all of this, what I get is that the third thing is, is that Lot took the easy way. Hey, you know what? I could cash all this in. Come on, this is a difficult route, man. This is, a, this is work taking care of these things. I could cash out. I could, if I sold out right now, I could live on this. So first of all, he goes along for the ride. Then he's driven by what he sees. And that's an easy place to wind up taking the easy way. And the problem is, there are going to be people that are going to go and say, wow, that's just a wise choice. I mean, you are getting older. You need to take care of yourself. You know? And then lastly, as I look at this, in chapter 14, verse 16, Sodom and Gomorrah, a city called Adma, a city called Zeboim, one of my favorite places, not in regards to its name, and a place called Bela. Bela, by the way, in, in essence means like to cut, to chafe, to, to scourge, um, which, by the way, also is the town called Zoar. That's where he's at. These places get taken captive, if you remember. And as they get taken captive, Abraham is to go and rescue them with 318 trained men. And the most amazing part about it to me is that just like so many, just like my own heart, he goes back to Sodom. Like a dog returning to his vomit. And I realize the last thing of these four things, by the way, is he just can't learn from a wrong turn. And, you know, it's like, look, you're going to take a wrong turn. It's like, okay, so you, so you, you were stupid. We're all stupid. You made a stupid choice. But can we learn from it? Because if we learn from it, at least there was something we can pull from this. Okay, so our five cities got taken by four cities, and one guy with the power of God rescues all of us and all of our stuff. I should hang out with him more. I'm going to go back here. Why? Because I got my place. I got my place back. I got my stuff back. It says all the stuff came back with Abraham. That's like, I got my flat screen back. Nice. I got one of those cool little folder bikes, you know, that I can take on, you know. I still got money on my Oyster card. I can't, I can't leave all that behind to go stay with this guy who, by the way, is still staying in a tent. And you can almost see him going, ha, 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 look at Abraham. You're still living in your tent. Check out my place. But you might not want to come at night. 
And I'm like, God, please. Please don't let me be this guy. But the biggest issue in all of this, by the way, is his just lack of desire to do anything quickly. Listen to this. In Genesis 39, verse 12, Joseph had a really neat opportunity. It was a wife, his boss's wife, who had taken quite an interest in him, grabs him by the clothes and says, come on. You get the idea. And you know what we read? He fled. In Luke chapter 3, verse 7, <clears throat> John the Baptist looks at these men and he says, who warned you to flee the wrath to come? Flee. Do you know what flee means? It means you run in terror. It means you run. You run and you make Bolt chase you. That's what it means. It means, it means if you've got energy, you spend it. There's no, this is no jog. This is no little canter. This is not a skip. The only thing on your mind at this moment is get out. In John chapter 10, verse 5, Jesus tells us that his sheep will flee from a stranger. We don't go near him. Now, flee means I don't get near Sodom. I don't want to get near Sodom. I want to get near my Lord. In 1 Corinthians six eighteen, it says, flee sexual immorality. Now, you realize how important that is? Now, why does he tell us to flee? Because God knows if you walk slowly, it'll catch up with you. That's what he knows. Just a little bit of time. You know, and you all kind of know what it's like. It's like the idle hands kind of thing. You know, it's kind of like, ooh, I got a few extra moments. I'm just kind of on the internet. No one else is around. I got a couple of minutes. I'll just watch nothing. And I don't really feel like reading my, oh, come on, I read my Bible today already. I mean, I already did my duty. And, and then all of a sudden it's like, whoa, how did I get there? And I'm getting closer and closer and closer to something. It's like, God says, run, run, run. I'm getting near it. I know what it's like. My girls are like, come on, I'm not going to have a cookie. I'm just going to go stand next to the jar. So I'm, oh, there's those kind of, can I touch it? Can I touch, why do you want to touch it? I just want, I'm not going to, yeah, I'm just going to touch it. That's, mm, mm. Well, how did you, how are those crumbs all over your face? I, I, I don't know, I'm probably when I opened the jar, kind of <laughs> blew up at me. And you know why we laugh? Because we do that with God, don't we? Don't we? Let's be honest. Oh God, I know this thing right here is a cliff, but... Some good view from there, and I can get take a look from there. Oh, it's not that bad. I could probably make that. I could flee, flee, get out. Oh man, Pastor, are you telling me? Yes, I am. Get out of sexual immorality. Don't just kind of sniff around it. How about this one? First Corinthians ten fourteen. Flee from idolatry. Idolatry, by the way, all idolatry is anything that has more influence in your life than God. Flee it. Flee it. Could you imagine? You turn on the TV and you went, whoa! And you just started running. <laughs> I mean, if I did that, by the way, I'd wonder, like, wow, how am I getting so fat sitting there watching TV? I'd be, I wouldn't be. I'd be so busy fleeing. Certainly I'm going to have to kick a hole in it. I don't have a TV, so... That doesn't mean I can't watch something. First Timothy six ten. The love of money is a root of all kinds of evil, for which some have strayed from the faith in their greediness and pierced themselves through with many sorrows. But you, O man of God, flee these things. Flee it, flee it, flee it. 
First, Second Timothy 2.22, flee youthful lusts. And last verse on this, and let's close this out. Hebrews 6.18, it says about those that are righteous who have fled for refuge to lay hold of the hope set before us. Do you realize you can flee to something too? And I want to flee to Christ. I want to flee to my refuge. Okay, listen, last verses. Verse 30. Uh, just as Lot went up from Zoar and he dwelt in the mountains. Remember those mountains? He said, I can't go live there. It's scary. And it just says, he and his two daughters and they dwelt in a cave. This, by the way, people say, don't you believe in cavemen? I'll say, well, here's one. Didn't work out so well for him. So the firstborn said, the younger, our father is old. There's no man on the earth to come to us is the custom of the earth. So come, let us make our father drink wine and we will lie with him. We may preserve our lineage from our father. So they made the father drink wine. I don't know how they made him drink wine. So that night, the firstborn went in, then lay with her father. and did not. He did not know when she lay down or when she arose. I don't need to develop that. It happened on the next day that the firstborn said to the younger, Indeed, I lay with my father last night. Let's make him drink wine tonight. Also, when you go in and lie with him, we preserve our lineage of our father. Then they made our, their father drink wine that night also, and the younger arose and lay with him and did not know. They lay down or got up. So that both of the daughters then were with child by their dad. So the first one bore a son, and his name is Moab, which, by the way, means like his dad. He's the father of the Moabites to this day, which, by the way, will be idol-worshiping people. That will be very evident. The second, by the way, she names him Ben-Ami. He's the father of the Ammonite people to this day. And in the end of it all, by the time, remember these are the two, are these the two girls he was going to toss out and say they've never known a man? They really don't sound like they're making those kind of decisions. And it's interesting because this man forfeited a lot more than just his sheep when he went into Sodom. He filled his daughters with all kinds of really bizarre ideas. And I just, I just want you to know that God is not interested in us being like this. It says, as it were in the days of Lot, they, they drank, they sold, they were married, they planned, they built, they planted, they built. And on that day, the lot, the, the lot went out of Sodom. It rained fire and brimstone from heaven and destroyed it all. Even so will be the last days of this day when the Son of Man is revealed. And that day, he was in the housetop and his goods are in the house. Don't go get them. Just get out. Remember Lot's wife is what he says. Because whoever seeks to lose his, or gain his life will lose it. And whoever seeks to let it go will gain it. Let me ask you, where are you at today? Are you in a place today where if God says get out, and there are some of you right now, I just know he's telling you flee something. And you're like, you know what, whatever, whatever. I can just sort of jaunt her out of this. And you know what, if you were honest with yourself, you'd realize you are a sucker right now. You are trapped and you don't even have the honesty to tell yourself that. On the other hand, there may be just some of us in here who are just getting near something we shouldn't get near. And it is time to let it go. It is time to say, you know what? I want to be holy. I want to cling to this God. I want to be free from the pathetic pollution that is so prevalent around me. And I am not interested in forfeiting the sheep or my family to try to just have some, just to be part of some club that's already going down. I'd rather be a lifeguard. And as we pray, beloved, I just want to ask you right now, where are you at? I mean, honestly, where are you at? Are you willing to be honest enough to say, look, 
Because you're not going to sin in a cave. And even if you do, you're still going to affect a whole lot of other people. You just don't even know it. Other people are being affected by the choices you make. And I would just love for us to say, you know what, today I'm going to say, Lord, I'm going to go overboard. I, I'm, I don't want to dip into the valley. And, and, and just because it looks good to my sight, I'm going to, take, I'm going to say, Lord, I'm going to hand you the wheel. And I am not along for the ride at this point. I am going to take and seize hold of all that you have for me. And I know that there is so much of me that is so polluted so convoluted and my appetites are so whack right now that I crave my own destruction. I know I crave my own destruction, but God, please, please let me flee. And make us right now, God, please make us people of integrity, of purity, of passion for you that would plead for the lives of others and not just seek to save our own honor. And God, I just pray right now. Lord, I know we've gone long, but Lord, it's just such a heavy thing with us right now. Lord, if there is anyone who is just stuck, that they would get help, that Lord, there would be people, and like myself, Lord, that I would just be available just to meet and encourage and do whatever is necessary to see people out of their filth. Lord, if there's anyone that's flirting with it right now, God, show them how utterly sick and, and show them the destruction that is ahead for that. And if there's anyone here who has not accepted the gift of Jesus Christ, who knows your pain, who knows the bondage without ever having enjoyed even this temporary pleasure of sin, but knows the grief of it, a man of sorrows acquainted with that grief, and right now he would like to forgive you and make you clean and purify you and start you on this most amazing and wonderful journey, a journey where you can actually be set free made innocent. And your eternity can be secure in Him as you say yes. And if that's you, I'm just going to pray this prayer. Again, just saying, Lord, I'm yours. And if you agree, I ask you to listen. And at the end, if you agree, I ask you to give a resounding, confident amen. And what you're saying is, I agree. Let those words be my words. And here it is, God. I, I, I come to you defective. I come to you guilty. I come to you, Lord, in my own muck. And yet I know that you so love me, Father, that you sent your own Son and you let him die on my behalf. That all of my guilt could be paid, all of my filth could be cleansed, all of my debt could be paid. And I believe he paid it in full at the cross, just like he promised he would. Even thousands of years before he came, he promised it. And then he rose again, just like he promised he would, to offer me new life. That though the old man be laid to rest, a new man could arise, a new individual set free, the new creation you intend, where the old is gone and the new has come. And so I accept this gift of Jesus, declaring Him as my Savior and Lord. And Father, adopt me as Your own and give me now a distaste for the things of my destruction and a voracious, insatiable appetite for You. In Jesus' name. Amen.